art scroll Gemaras. They are an extremely valuable tool. Can they sometimes be a harmful crutch? I will tell you my thoughts coming up. Plus, cell phones in shul. Does anybody condone looking at a cell phone during davening? I mean, other than doctors or Hatzalah guys, why can't you just leave the cell phones in the car, in the coat room? We will get to that coming up. Plus, a brand new segment. I will choose letters from Mishpacha and Ami magazine. I will read the letter, tell you my thoughts. Should be entertaining. Very excited about that. Plus, Elliot Resnick, a from Jew, a former editor-in-chief of a large Jewish publication. He has been indicted over the January 6th protest. These charges are completely bogus. Elliot Resnick does not deserve to be targeted this way, does not deserve this kind of treatment. So we will get into that coming up. But I want to begin, as I said, Art Scroll Gemaras. Here's the question. Should you be using an Art Scroll Gemara? Should you be figuring out the tight yourself and pouring over it and sometimes breaking your teeth? Or should you look at the Taich and the Art Scroll Gemara? And I want to be clear here that it all depends on how you frame the question, because certainly many, many, many cases, people should be using an Art Scroll Gemara. It can be beneficial. Well, should be is a very strong word, but it's certainly something where if you decide to do it, it's very helpful, very useful, very beneficial. Nobody's questioning that. So I'm not criticizing. I want people to not misunderstand me here. I'm not negating, criticizing the enormous benefit thousands of people are able to learn Gemara because of Art Scroll, who otherwise would not be able to. Many others are able to learn much more than they would be doing without it. But the question is this, can it sometimes be used the wrong way? Like most valuable tools, is there a time and a place and are there situations where somebody should be specifically avoiding it and it's a harmful crutch? And I'll prove that it can be used the wrong way because yeshiva guys, regular yeshiva bacher, during first seder in yeshiva, regular base medrash bacher, right? They do not open an art scroll gemara. I'm not talking about occasionally where they're stuck, but I'm saying they don't sit there learning out of an art scroll gemara, teaching out of an art scroll gemara. Why? Because it would clearly hamper their learning. They're trying to grow. They're trying to steig. They're trying to master the craft of learning on their own. And if they use the the art scroll to teach you know, every day or several times a day, then all that's going to do is hamper their growth and be used as a crutch. So I'm worried people tend to misconstrue when you say, you know, sometimes an art school gemara should be avoided. It's like people have a meltdown. Well, why? Are you against art school? Do you have some kind of problem with it? And no, not at all. As I keep saying, it's 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 an immeasurably valuable tool, which helps thousands and thousands and thousands of people learn better. So it depends how you frame the question. Let's say somebody would not be learning without an art school Gemara, right? Somebody's unable to understand it or for whatever reason they need it, okay? So it's like that's your choice. Your choice is not learning, learning with an art school Gemara. Obviously, it's not a question. Obviously, you should be using the art school Gemara. Let's say somebody's trying to finish a Masechta. They're doing it on the side. They're doing it as an extra Limud. They have a 30-minute Seder a night, not their main Seder. Anything wrong with using the art scroll, I certainly, again, you say, speak to Das Torah, speak to your Rav, to your Rebbe, determine what's b- the best course for you. But I have no problem with that. I don't object to that. Somebody needs help on the side. They simply are not going to be able to uh, achieve the quota and to keep up with the pace that they've set for themselves without using it. My issue is a yeshiva bacher, a koilal guy or even a balabas, but somebody who their main Gemara Seder, whether it's Ian or Bikias, but one of their main Sedarim, they are using the art scroll on a regular basis. And it's because they're not able to get through the Gemara on their own, or it takes too long, 
or you know, it simply takes too much effort and they don't have the time or they don't have the energy. So therefore, they rely on the art scroll. But that's like their main seder or one of their main bikiyas darim. Now, again, I'm not talking about the occasional difficult sugya, agadita, something where you know, you're just stumped and you just get stuck. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about on a consistent basis, on a regular basis. And to that I say, you're using it to cheat. Because you're, if you're going to use art scroll uh, every time you get stuck, or you're using it once a day or several times a day during your main Seder, how are you going to master the Gemara? How, you know, and, and again, you want to tell me one difficult word here, one difficult word there? Well, first of all, try looking it up in a dictionary, in a Jastro. I know some people find the Jastro harder to use than others. But ask people, you know, there are other ways you can do it without just, all right, let me go and let me look it up in the English. Let me look it up in the art scroll. And you'll say, well, isn't that the simplest way? You got to be really careful. It's a very slippery slope because that can easily become, oh, well, you know, I'll just look at it for this line. Look at it for that. Let me look at it in one more line. You know what? Uh, this is kind of tempting. So very slippery slope there. And you're never going to master it and learn to do it. The only way to learn to do it on your own is through the painstaking process of getting stuck, looking it up trying again, working, trying to figure it out. It's like cliff notes. You know, they call it spark notes, cliff notes. You know, imagine somebody wants to learn how to analyze literature. And this is not the perfect analogy. I get that. But somebody using cliff notes in order to analyze a piece of, you know, a classic, a piece of literature, Moby Dick or whatever, you know, name uh, name a classic, name a piece of classic literature. If you just always use the cliff notes and always cheat and always use the crutch, then you're never going to learn how to do it on your own. A baby will never learn to walk if they use a crutch or they always use a walker. You know, imagine somebody studying to be a doctor, right? And there's a cheat book. Like, they they look up the symptoms. They can diagnose them. Imagine you go to a doctor, and the doctor always has a crutch. The doctor, there's some doctor hiding in the closet. And you ask your doctor, and your doctor then goes and asks the doctor in the closet, hey, here are the symptoms. What What's the diagnosis, right? And then one day, there's no doctor in the closet for them to ask, Right. How is a doctor ever going to learn to treat patients on their own if they're always using a crutch, if they're always able to run and say, hey, help me out here, right? It's very simple. You need to put in the effort in, in any craft, in any industry, right? I, I don't want to go to a doctor who got through medical school using the art scroll version of medical school or using shortcuts, okay? So art scroll, it's a wonderful shortcut. And as I said, it's wonderful, amazing, extremely valuable for thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the right situation, but, you know, you know, you don't become a doctor by, like, using the crutch. Okay, that's the point. And I don't drive a stick shift myself. But, like, let's say I want it to be, and I, I see no need to drive a stick shift if you could just drive an automatic. But don't tell me it's the same thing. Don't tell me a stick shift is the same as an automatic transmission. Because if you want to win the Daytona 500, then you'd figure out how to drive a stick shift because you certainly have much more control and can, your, your performance will be that much improved. So it's the same thing. If you want to be a master at learning Gemara, you can't use the automatic transmission. You've got to learn how to drive a manual transmission, how to drive a stick shift. Now, again, am I talking about somebody who their main limit is dafyomi, busy person, has a job, has a family, and their main limit is dafyomi. That's what they do. And they cannot keep up with dafyomi without using the art score. It's either the art score or listening to a shear, a recorded shear, which is basically the same thing because you're not doing it on your own. Right. So I'm not talking about that person. Now, I think that person needs to realize, wait a second, it may not be ideal. In other words, don't tell me that the ideal way to spend, you have 45 minutes or an hour to learn a day 
and the ideal is uh, basically using Art Scroll for a Dafi. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, and I'm not, you know, that is your personal decision. But don't tell me that's the same as somebody who has the time and has the ability to really just work through it on their own. In your situation, it may be the best option. That's I'm not judging your unique situation. And I'm not talking about that person because for that person has a quota, wants to keep up with Dafyemi, that's their sense of accomplishment, and they're not going to be able to do it without the art scroll. So I get that. I'm talking about a Ben Tyra. I'm talking about somebody who wants to be a professional learner, is working toward being a professional learner, and you simply cannot do that with shortcuts. And if you say to me, listen, I'm learning in yeshiva. I learn a couple of storm a day, but I don't care about, I don't want to be an expert in Gemara. I don't want to master that. Okay, I want to understand the Gemara and move on. So I don't mind taking shortcuts. You know, I'm not going to be a Rosh Yeshiva. Yes, I'm in Yeshiva now. Yes, I spend multiple storm a day, but I'm using the art school for Bekiah Seder because I'm not interested. It doesn't bother me that I'm using the shortcut, that I'm never going to mess this. I'm never going to learn how to read a piece of Gemara on my own. Look, I don't know how to respond. I suspect that that's rare, and I don't know how to respond exactly to that person. That's a very, very personal choice. I'm just out to say that in my mind, our main focus, one of our main uh, tafkidim in life, one of our main missions in life is to learn, is to learn Torah. And of course, Gemara is our main limud. That is how yeshivas are set up. That's how our lives are set up. That's how kviyasitim is set up. So you tell me, well, I'm complacent. Okay, if you're complacent, you're complacent, but you're not on the same track. That's my point. Is a, You have two people sitting there through Bikiya Seder, and one of them is... Uh, using the art scroll to get through the daf, get through the bikis, and the other one, get through the sugya, and the other one is saying, listen, I'm going to figure this out. It's hard. It's not easy, but I'm going to break my teeth. I'm going to ask. I'm going to look up. I'm going to, you know, read it again. I'm going to go take a five-minute break, wash my face, look at it again, see if I could do that. I, I know I personally uh, had that experience a lot and uh, got, went through the, the painstaking process of figuring out even when it was quite hard. And yes, when it was too hard, of course I looked it up in the art scroll. But, uh, you know, the certain sugis and shemayin shrotzim that talk about medicines and refuas, I mean, those are impossible. So I confess, I did it. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But don't tell me that those two people have the same experience and are going to master it the same way. Uh, two other points. Number one, you cannot make the same diyukim. You, you, you cannot achieve the same level of Havana reading it in the original Aramaic or the original Hebrew, the original Gemara language. There's no comparison in terms of getting the understanding, in terms of being able to read it and make diukim and get the proper level of Havana. And number two, I have seen Kailal guys, guys that I know, guys who literally sat and learned in Kailal for years, and they do have the ability. They have no question the ability to get through a piece of Gemara, to read it, to understand it. And I see them, they'll open up an art scroll, and they'll do whether Dafyami or they're trying to do a fast limud, and they're doing it to move quickly. And look, again, I'm not judging anybody. But I, I'm curious about that. We're not talking about somebody who never had the yeshiva back. We're talking about somebody who learned in yeshiva for years. They could easily, I don't want to say easily, but they could get through a piece of Gemara. It, it, the question is not the ability. It's that they're in a rush, so they rather cover more ground. And even though they're going to use the art scroll as a crutch, and they have the ability not to, but they you can't do it as fast. I confess, I concede, you cannot do it as quickly. So those people, I personally, and maybe this is a personal decision, but i rather cover less ground and do it on my own. And I'm talking about Amelus. We can get into, you know, Amelus and more Amelus, less Amelus. I'm just talking about I'm a purist. I'm a purist. So to me, uh, learning it without jumping to art scroll for the tide. Again, I'm not talking about looking it up. I'm talking about you're sitting there in front of you. You're looking at the art scroll. And, of course, you're, you always gravitate to the easier side, to the side 
with the English. So that's a slightly different point earlier. You know, I'm, again, I'm not saying that this is a terrible thing. What, what I'm seeing people do, I'm not talking about a, what I'm talking about is a guy who's learning in yeshiva who's trying to master the craft of learning, and the art school is simply a crutch. To me, there's no other, no two ways about it. That that now I'm making a different point, which is there's certain color guys who they need to move. They know how to do it. They have already mastered the craft, but for whatever reason, they find it too hard on a day to day basis. So they're like using the art scroll now to move quickly, and that's more subjective. So I'm not saying that as objectively. I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong, but I do think that still there are two options in that situation, and I generally choose. And look, I could be doing a lot better and, and learning a lot more. And I'm not going to talk about myself right now because uh, I, I certainly have a lot of improvement to do personally. But if I have a choice between moving quicker uh, with the art scroll or moving slower without the art scroll, I'd rather move slow, more slowly, and I do understand why that can be frustrating to some people. All right, cell phones in shul. Now, this is a gripe. I don't think this is controversial at all. I think this is a no-brainer. I see it way too frequently. I see people checking emails, checking WhatsApp, looking at their browser on their smartphones in shul. Sometimes people looking on flip phones, but usually it's smartphones. And sometimes people like have no shame, like they're just doing it just right in front of everybody. And it doesn't even like occur to them maybe that, hello, this is something that you should not be doing. And you're literally desecrating the base Knesset, desecrating the base Medrash. I think this is a very big problem. I think you stare the entire kahila. And listen, you're going to say, well, does anybody really have the right davening experience these days? I mean, we simply, most of us, most of us. Just simply davening doesn't have the meaning that it should have. It simply just doesn't do for us what it's supposed to do for us. We've lost that art, you know, or, or we've lost that connection that davening is supposed to give us. It's very, very hard to have a really meaningful davening, to really have the right kavana, the right focus, the right experience, the right ruchnias. So who are we trying to fake out? That's you're going to say to me. Well, you don't have your cell phone out, but come on, who are you faking? I'll grant you that most of us, many of us, I don't know the numbers, but many of us have a very difficult time connecting with davening. But that doesn't mean you can desecrate the entire environment. To me, there's a difference between davening without kavana, davening robotically, and sitting there on your phone. And I'll prove it. Would you wear jeans and a t-shirt into shul? Would you wear shorts and a tank top into shul? So to me, it's the same thing. Pulling out the phone, you'll say, well, I don't have the right kavana anyway when I daven, so who am I faking out? So I'll walk into shul with a tank top. No, I'm sorry, those two things don't follow one from the next because one, you're trying, the environment is there, but you simply don't have the internal kavana, meaning passion, focus that you're supposed to have. And the other one, you're literally yanking out a phone and just desecrating. And look, I have my flaws. I'll get to that in a moment. I have many flaws. But to me, this is something which is not hard to control, okay? Again, I'm not judging anybody. If this is your Nisan, if this is something which you simply too great a temptation, fine. But I'm going to give you my thoughts on that in a moment. And yes, I have a lot of flaws. You know, I recently saw Chazan literally at the Umud looking at his cell phone while he's at the Umud during Birchas Kriyashma. He's literally leading the Kahila, look, pulls out his phone, and again, no busha. And I was quite shocked, I have to admit. So look, I have my weaknesses, I have my Yitzharas. Uh, you know, I'm very, very reluctant to sound like I'm preaching or to sound like I'm giving Musr because that's like the last thing I want to do. But here's the thing is... There's a difference between when you're nichshal, at least know that you're nichshal. I try to be intellectually honest when I'm doing the wrong thing. You know, let's say I fail and I speak Lashon Hara, right? Let's say I give in to my temptation, I speak Lashon Hara, right? I'd like to at least know and be intellectually honest and say, well, listen, I'm speaking Lashon Hara. If somebody would come to me, hopefully, hopefully, somebody comes to me, listen, let's say I had my cell phone out in shul, right? Somebody comes to me, listen, you know, you really should not have your cell phone in shul. I would like to believe that I would appreciate that that musr, that rebuke, and say, listen, you know, I'll be honest with myself. 
just because you you're guilty of it, just because you're flawed, just because you have a weakness doesn't mean that you need to justify it and rationalize it. So that's my point. My point is I'm just throwing out something about f- cell phones and shul where uh, we can all relate to the temptation of you feel the vibration. You want to check your text, check your email, check your WhatsApp or whatever. But that doesn't make it the right thing to do. And I would like Chizik, I would like somebody to encourage me. Hey, listen, you can avoid this. So that with that preface here, okay, very simple. Leave the cell phone out of shul. Period. Just leave it out of shul. Here's what I always say is it's like an alcoholic in a bar. He walks into the bar. He's surrounded by alcohol. Well, you know, I couldn't resist the temptation. Don't walk into the bar. It's much easier to not walk into the bar than to resist once you're in the bar. And that to me is the perfect analogy. When when, when you haven't come into shul yet and you're in the car, hey, I'm going to stick my phone in the car. It's in the car. I won't feel the vibrate. I won't know what's happening with my phone because I'll be in shul protected from my phone. 500 feet away, 1,000 feet away from my phone. Versus, well, I'm going to bring it into shul, but hopefully when it vibrates, I'm not going to check it. Like, hello, that's much harder. That resist, it's much harder to resist. It's like somebody dieting and they're in the store. Even I myself, sometimes I'll be in the store and I'll want to buy the donut, the cake, whatever, something I should not be eating. And it's like, all right, just don't buy it. And the minute I buy it, you know, I'm going to buy it, but hopefully I won't eat it till tomorrow. Well, once you buy it and you get home, it's going to be much harder to resist than you walk out of the store. You don't have it. Now you get home and it's like, am I going to go back to the store? Probably not. So, that's where where you win this challenge, where you win this struggle, this Nisayan, is outside of the shul, not into the shul, before you enter the shul. And that's why I would think that shuls should get together and create, some of them do, have these boxes or have these policies where you leave the, sh- the, the phone outside of the shul. That, to me, is like the, the simplest solution over here is just we just band together and just kind of make this takana for the Rabbim and just make it. And again, how are you going to enforce it? I don't know. But if there's a box right there outside of shul, everybody's putting their phone inside the box, then most people will probably follow suit. And again, part of the issue to me is that there are some circles where this just became acceptable. Like, And that's on all of us. In other words, even if you're not bringing your phone into shul, but like, why is it okay? Why is it not something? It, again, number one, it's a big desecration. I think we would all agree it's a big stare. Number two in a certain sense, it's so easy. Well, it's not that easy. I want to bring my phone into the shul. I don't know. It's not that hard. I've, I've done it many times, left my phone in the car, left my phone in my, in my coat pocket, in the coat room. I just don't see this as being like an impossible Yetzirah, like an irresistible temptation. So I think really where it comes from is, like I said earlier, our whole davening experience is devoid of real meaning for the most part. So like that has like seeped into the culture where we don't really get anything out of davening. And my response to that is, I don't know the response. Like, we have to work on that. Yeah, I would love dominating to have more meaning to me, to my children, to my family, to people I know, to my shul. I would love us all to have a better experience. I don't understand exactly why that is. But again, that doesn't excuse. That's something we need to work on. That's like a, a broader, very general issue. We need to work on that. We need to work on. And maybe the answer is just slowly learn up and just work on one part at a time. Just take it very, very slowly. Baby steps. Okay, this part of tefillah has a little more meaning. I'm focusing. I understand the words. I'm connecting. What's next? You know, and take really, really small baby steps. I don't know. But again, the external part of, listen, this is a shul and the phone does not belong in the shul. That's a very, very simple step that we can all kind of relate to. And we need to start somewhere. That to me is the perfect place to start. Elliot Resnick, listen, I know Elliot Resnick. Elliot Resnick is the former editor-in-chief of the Jewish Press. And I'm only talking about this because... It's extremely public, and I think everybody is aware of this, and I want to defend him. I really want to defend him. 
Elliot Resnick was 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 one of hundreds of journalists who were at the Capitol on January 6th. And they're all considered bystanders. There's not one, as far as I'm aware, not one journalist is being charged with a crime other than Elliot Resnick. Why is that? Because he's a from Jew and because he was an editor in chief of the Jewish press. So they are targeting him. They're, they're, they're treating him the same way they treat Trump. And it's bogus charges. Maybe he held the arm of a police officer. I have no idea. Now we know it's been exposed that uh, you know a, a lot of what happened on January 6th was really uh, peaceful. People coming in in an orderly fashion, having a lot of respect for the police, not not violent rioters like uh, the media and the Democrats have portrayed. So did he obstruct a, an officer? Did he hold the arm of an officer? I don't know and I don't care. Uh, he was a he was a journalist who had every right to be there. There is no evidence that he really did anything wrong. So he is literally a scapegoat. He is being targeted because he's a Jew and he's a from Jew. And the AP is all over this. Mainstream media is all over this. They love it. They love this Jewish Trump supporter that they can turn into a scapegoat and charge with felonies on January 6th. And anybody who they consider MAGA, anybody who helps them advance their agenda, uh, they love to charged with these crimes. And it's very, very, very disgraceful. And by the way, I don't agree with everything that Elliot Resnick says or stands for, uh, but it doesn't matter. The man has free speech. He was there sincerely protesting. He was there peacefully protesting. And he does not deserve any kind of punishment. He does not deserve to be indicted. And I really, really hope, you know, he is fighting this. And uh, hopefully, Emir Hashem, you know, he gets through it and uh, he doesn't have to have any real consequence or real punishment. But he's a very good person, a sincere person and somebody who does not deserve this kind of treatment. And he's just, you know, collateral damage in the war of the left against Trump and against MAGA. All right. So let me read you this letter here, letter that was in Mishpacha magazine. And it, it's about personal finance. And let me just give you the backdrop here. There's been discussion in Mishpacha the last few weeks about Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, of course is the financial advisor, and his big thing is get out of debt, stay out of debt, don't get into debt. And the debate becomes, well, is it really realistic for a from family with a bunch of children to follow Dave Ramsey model and to stay out of debt? Um, because the way our lives are modeled, there's just a lot of expenses. It's a very expensive lifestyle, the from lifestyle, and uh, that makes it difficult to not borrow money and to manage to stay afloat and meet your monthly expenses. And especially for cuddle people, you know, but even not even working people. So that's the backdrop here. I'm not going to get into all that because that's a, a whole long topic of is it possible for a from family to follow the Dave Ramsey model? Does it have to be modified? And I think it's a big debate. I don't think there's a simple answer, but I got to read you this letter. Uh, quote, I read with interest the article on uh, on living L'chaim and Jewish money. I was very interested because I have been following Dave Ramsey's plan since day one of our marriage. Over 18 years ago, we're going strong on baby steps five, six, and seven. My husband is a Rebbe and IT professional, and I teach our salaries are moderate, but we make it work without any debt except the mortgage. Two tools have been incredibly useful, Dave Ramsey's baby steps and minimalism. I've heard people claim that the financial situation of Orthodox Jews is different because we have non-negotiable budget items such as tuition and kosher food. I believe it is just an excuse to claim that an Orthodox lifestyle is keeping us from financial stability. From people need to stop using religion as an excuse for debt and simply work within the numbers. A debt-free approach is a choice. Dave Ramsey's steps can be applied to anyone who is willing to commit. Okay, and she continues. She's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She uses her name. I won't quote her name here, even though I have no problem. You know, I respect very much what her sentiment is here, even though I'm about to disagree and critique it. But uh, that's her main point. Her main point here is, listen, I follow Dave Ramsey model from day one of my marriage, and it's worked, and I've been able to stay out of debt other than my mortgage. And essentially, she says two lines here. And these are the lines that trouble me. Again, I'm not judging her personal situation. She says she's been able, this lady says she's been able to stay out of debt. 
okay, we don't know a lot of details here. It depends. And I, and I don't doubt that what she's saying is 100% true and sincere. It was her husband working? He has two jobs. He's a Rebbe and he's an IT professional. Was he from day one of their marriage? Was he in Kailo? A lot of details here we don't know. Was there any family help? They're living out of town. So out of town could have lower expenses, lower cost of living than in town, you know, in New York and places that are close surrounding New York. So there's so many details here. It's so subjective. You know, one person can say, I have no problem. I could stay out of debt, meet my expense. And she's saying, listen, we lived minimally. Okay, well, did she make lavish bar mitzvahs? Did her kids request lavish bar mitzvahs? You know, did did, did she make family simchas? Did she have family help for those simchas? Camps, right? Deshiva tuition. They're just so, 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 you know, what kind of cars did they drive? What kind of house did they have? A million and one variables. That's why I don't want to judge anyone's individual situation. It's impossible because you're going to be comparing Apples to oranges, you know, apples to grapefruit, apples to screwdrivers. You know, it's really, really difficult for anyone to judge. But you'll tell me that there are from people out there who are able to follow the Ramsey model, not get into debt. Wonderful. That's amazing. And you tell me there are people who cannot. I know for a fact there are people who cannot, especially Kylo people. They cannot. It's just they, the numbers just simply don't add up. So it's it, 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 we, I'm not discussing your situation, his situation, my situation. I'm not discussing that. There are two lines here that I want to respond to. Number one, quote, I believe it's just an excuse to claim an Orthodox lifestyle is keeping us from financial stability. She says, people claim that the financial situation of Orthodox Jews is different. We have non-negotiable budget items. And she says, that's an excuse to claim an Orthodox lifestyle is keeping us from financial stability. So essentially what she's saying is a, a very blanket statement that, listen, you're saying the way lifestyle is set up for from Jews, I cannot avoid debt. That, like, I need to be in debt. There's no other way I can pay the bills. And she's saying that's just an excuse. It's an, an excuse you really can't. I don't see how she could possibly know that. I know of situations personally where people had no financial help, had no family help, were not able to have two full-time jobs or whatever, and they simply could not manage to meet uh, their monthly payments. They simply could not make ends meet. I know, you know, you never know for a fact, but as close as anybody could be to knowing for a fact, I'm certain there are people in that situation. So it's not an excuse. And how just because one person is in a situation where they were able to avoid debt doesn't mean that now anybody who says, listen, I can't avoid debt. Oh, well, that's just an excuse. You're just blaming it on from kind. You're blaming it on the religion, but it's really your own personal lack of discipline. It's your own personal lack of willpower. Stop spending. You know, you got to be more minimalist. I'm sorry. That's very hard to accept. I think that every situation is different. Million and one variables. So there are many people out there. I believe, cannot meet their monthly payments without getting into debt. Now, should they get into debt? Should they not get into debt? What are the options? That's for the financial advisors. But I do believe it's not just, well, I'm just blaming the religion, but I just want to spend money and have a lavish lifestyle and buy a fancy car and buy fancy food, et cetera, and go to restaurants and and all of that. And another line here, also very related, from people need to stop using religion as an excuse for debt and simply work within the numbers. A debt-free approach is a choice. Again, the same point. I don't know that that's the reality. I just I simply find it hard to believe that you anyone who's in debt is using religion as an excuse. Again, you show me somebody who drives around a hundred thousand dollar car and has an eight hundred thousand dollar house, and they're living in Kailal or whatever. They 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 make sixty five thousand dollars a year. Okay, well, you know who knows? You know the people who work in yeshivas who get tuition breaks. That saving money on tuition can be a huge benefit to some families. Not everybody has that option. Uh, there are a million and one variables. So some people have income where they have less income, but they don't pay as much income tax because of parsonage and other reasons. So I have no idea. But again, this notion that, oh, listen, you're saying, well, I cannot afford. Now, there are some people who probably do use religion as an excuse. Well, it's not my fault because look at this very fancy lifestyle that I surround myself with. And meanwhile, they're making choices to spend money on things that are luxury items. That's very possible. 
That's not my point. I want to be very clear here. My point is that this letter writer is saying, oh, anybody can manage to avoid debt. Uh, don't blame the from lifestyle. You Stop using it as an excuse. Work within your numbers. It's an excuse. You're blaming religion, and it's your own financial instability and your own lack of self-discipline. You got to be more minimalist. Well, I'm sorry. I just don't accept that. I think it depends on every situation is unique. I think it depends on the person, depends on a million and one factors. And to just go and make a blanket statement that uh, any anybody from can afford to not get into debt. And if you say, well, I can't help it, that's an excuse. I don't think that that's being fair, and I'm coming to the defense of all those people who are in debt and not able to follow the Ramsey model, but it's not a choice. Now, there may be other ways for them to budget, et cetera. That's for the financial advisors. That's what all the discussion is about. But uh, I'm just defending those people who say, listen, I can't do this. My kids need certain certain lifestyle and my family needs a certain lifestyle. And it's it's just it's like basic. It's not a luxury. It's It's a need. And I'm saying that's not an excuse. Very, very often, not maybe not always, but very, very often, that's not an excuse. That is the reality. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.